I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Welcome back, true believers, to another episode about ninja hijinks. We're here tonight to talk about American Ninja 3 and 4. The way of the ninja is a world of mystery, and only the best can master its secrets. Now, a new strength has joined the competition. Representing the United States of America, Sean Cunningham. You made the cover of Inside Karate this month. This Cunningham is in our way. He is ninja. Thrust into a dangerous arena of double dealing, the champion must now become a warrior and prove himself faster, stronger, braver than a force of super ninja. And more powerful than any who have come before to thwart a plot of worldwide domination. What is going on here? This could become the most threatening type of warfare known to mankind. Germ warfare. General Andreas asked for a superhuman. He's selling out to a terrorist? That's wholesale slaughter. Time for action. Steve James, Marjo Gortner, and introducing David Bradley as the American Ninja. Now the power is in his hands. American Ninja 3, Blood Hunt. Boys, how about it? American Ninja 3 and 4. Before we get into this tonight, I'm going to let a cat out of the bag. Y'all are some bullshitters. These movies are top shelf bangers. And man, this has been the best franchise year we've had fucking yet. Not a single fucking dry eye in the house. These movies are awesome and I can't wait to talk about them. So this whole gimmick of you guys, I, I think... I forgot who it was last episode that was kind of like giving me this weird foreboding feeling like, oh, boy, we're about to get into the shit with the American (laughs) Ninja movies, because I got to tell you, I'm fucking loving this so far. I wish there were 16 American Ninja movies, because if they're all as good as these so far, holy fuck. (laughs) Hey, call Vista Street Entertainment. There might be. <laughs> okay, well, that's where <laughs> that's where you done fucked up. Like, like I was talking with my bud Corey Udler the other day. He sent me every now and then he'll send me links to music and whatnot. And he sends me the new striper single. <laughs> and the striper singles <laughs> this song called Take It to the Cross. And I'm listening to it, and maybe I'll play a little clip of it here, folks, so you can experience the hijinks that is Striper's new single, Take It to the Cross, which we're starting a whole new hashtag, hashtag Take It to the Cross, um, is literally the most ridiculously stupid thing I've ever heard. And that's saying something. It it starts off and it sounds like, oh, yeah, this is just a run-of-the-mill 50-year-old Striper, you know, 
guys just deciding to go out there and do some Hesher metal. And then for some reason, it goes into a corn tune. This Hesher song, then all of a sudden you hear the singer who's singing this operatic, you know, power metal type shit go. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This is a goddamn work. I don't believe this is true. And this is reality. And I kind of hold the car. I'm like, what the fuck? Were you seriously? (laughs) What's amazing about this is that. I mean, without hearing the context of this, I'm thinking that that is the ultimate, like, comeback to anybody who is just being a drama queen about something. Like, oh, I have it so hard. I'll take it to the cross. (laughs) Trust me, Scott. You heard this thing. You'd be like, I just wasted 70 seconds of my life. My, my, My parents said, oh, you like metal. And they actually got me two Striper albums during the 80s. Oh, my God. Well, let me tell you. They're like they're on that Enigma label you seem to like. They that has that other band that you like. What what are they called? I'm like Slayer. Yeah, yeah. Not to make this episode striper chat, but but I was at a bar like a month ago, and it was a karaoke night, and there was this guy that got up there and sang to hell with the devil, and it was just about the most glorious thing I'd ever witnessed in my whole miserable oh, fucking life. Shit. I love that shit. That that's your next show, Derek. The Stripe Cast. <laughs> it's the next show. Don't hold your breath, folks. That's not going to happen. That is not an offshoot of Astro Radio Z. I do not endorse this anyway, any in any way, shape, or form. But anyways, the whole point of Striper Chat tonight was the fact that I had talked about this on an outtakes episode for my Patreons. And if you guys aren't subscribing to my Patreon, it's only one measly fucking dollar a month. You get all sorts of goddamn hijinks. Go over there, get a bunch of uh, episodes with us being complete assholes. But um, I was talking about on on that episode how, for some reason, on the last franchise episode for American Ninja 1 and 2, you guys seem to be gleefully awaiting me, like my opinion on how bad these next few movies were going to be. Almost like I was kind of setting you up for Howling New Moon Rising. In that I have this sneaking suspicion that you guys, for some reason, are trying to troll me to to really watch something bad. Daniel, is this true? Are you guys trying to troll me to try and get me to watch really bad shit? I can't. I can't speak for everyone. What I can say 
for me is that yes and no. Yes, because <laughs> the quality of these films, it it kind of plummet, maybe the best word to use, you know, it's like American Ninja is the standard. And then we hit one of those concrete curves and flew through the windshield and just quickly start tumbling down the hill. Are they bad movies? Hell no. <laughs> but like, I, I think I, my post on Facebook said it all. This is the point where we separate the men from the boys. And I think that's about it. So, I mean, if you wanted to be, you know, if you want to take some kind of warning or foreboding with that, maybe so. I love them. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're really overselling this. This is not like we're watching Puppet Master the Legacy here. Uh, thank God we're not. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Dudikoff and David Bradley protect us, and we will not have to do that again. Oh, man. Well, without further ado, before Scott Davis falls asleep. No, 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 no. I'm just sitting there like thinking like, yeah, it's not at least it's not uh, at least it's not Vice Academy it, one through six. I was at least it's, no, I was I was thinking at least it's not howling. At least it's not Puff and Master than Legacy. But I'm like. Still, yeah, I, I could I would have taken a Vice Academy. <laughs> I <been> fine. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Killing the room. <laughs> Can we give him the boot? This is where I mute his microphone for the rest of the episode. Can we give him the boot? <laughs> uh, I can't but I can't believe, I can't believe that's a reality in any way shape you, or form. You remind me you remind me of my first boss who used to just turn to his second to my second boss and used to say, "Are we allowed to hit him?" <laughs> and speaking of hitting folks let's get on with with the pageantry that is oh yeah american ninja 3 blood hunt <laughs> that was made in 
Now, American Ninja 3 Blood Hunt, we see duty is gone. <laughs> didn't come back for this movie. And who we have in his place is David Bradley. And you guys in uh, Astro Radio Z-Land may know him from our Cops episode as the guy that starred in Cyborg Cop 1 and 2. Yes. He has taken over for duty this time. And him and Steve James are about to kick a whole lot of ninja ass. Now, the synopsis of this film directed by Cedric Sundstrom is as follows. Jackson is back, and now he has a new partner, karate champion Sean, as they face a deadly terrorist known as the Cobra, who has infected Sean with the virus. Sean and Jackson have no choice but to fight the Cobra and his bands of ninjas. Now, that synopsis kind of leaves out the fact that he doesn't get infected with a virus until the last, like, 20 minutes of this movie. And the first mm -hmm. hour and 10 minutes of this movie is essentially just a rehashing of the first two films. <sighs> All of the one thing that you'll need to get used to, folks, when you're watching American Ninja films is that every single one is the same exact fucking movie. Almost. Well, I take that back. When we get to number four, there's a little bit of a difference because it's ripping off two other movies for that one. but. Let's wait for that. Um, this movie starts off with almost in kickboxer style. If you've ever seen the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic kickboxer, we have a tournament, a, a karate tournament where people are in, in a squared circle getting the shit kicked out of them. And we have a bunch of really horrible kid actors in the crowd clapping their ass, asses off and for some reason um they're overdubbed <laughs> really poorly but uh, one of them is sean and his buddy and they're cheering on waiting for sean's dad to come out uh because he has a big match that night now side side plot of this intro is there's a group of goons that come in to rob the bookie office at this tournament and one of these goons, I love the, this group of goons in this movie that started off. We have a dude that looks like a 70 year old Italian guy that was a reject from The Godfather. We have one dude that can't for his fucking life figure out how to use a butterfly blade whatsoever. He takes it out and whips it around and it just looks like, holy shit, I didn't practice this before he did this take. <laughs> he goes to cut a mute guard and then for some reason all these guys have fully automatic pistols that they're shooting <laughs> it was fucking hilarious so so this they go and they rob this bookie audience and of course they accidentally take sean's dad hostage and kill him and that is the motivation for our lead character through the rest of the film i can only bet and i hope you guys i i trust you enough that you can figure out exactly where this fucking movie is gonna go after this so let's start with this beginning sequence with the little kids the bad overdubbing and the dude that has no idea how to use a butterfly blade seth what did you think of this opening sequence i think you just nailed my notes for this entire opening sequence <laughs> <laughs> The overdubbing started out just cracked me up. Yay, go! Come on, Dad, go! Who, who is, 
Who's doing these voices? <laughs> Who ever heard a kid talk like this? And then the butterfly knife. Why is he even butterfly knifing? Why didn't he just kill the guy? Instead of he handles him like nunchucks, lucky he didn't cut his damn finger off. And how lucrative were karate tournaments in the 80s that they're getting held up by gangs? Like, was karate ever that big? <laughs> how much money could this thing have made? There's like, like four dozen people in the crowds. <laughs> what are they getting? 500 bucks? <laughs> 30 bucks max? Yeah. I, <laughs> amazing opening scene. Just baffles me, though. On every it, was, it was something else. Let me it tell you, so it, it definitely gave me flashbacks to fucking kickboxer. Glenn, what did you think of this? This movie, wow, yeah, um, <laughs> it uh, it definitely shows its age. It feels so so goddamn eighties. Just everything about. I mean, I I'm watching this and I'm making up my own story that's going on because, like, I mean, Cobra. Dude, that's Larry Bird, and and his partner Captain Steubing. Uh and I'm sorry, but Sean, I mean, come on, that that's Derek Zoolander. The, the, the dude is doing Blue Steel the whole movie. He is. You're right about that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, Blue Steel, Fred from Scooby Doo, and Apollo Creed are going to take down Larry Bird and Captain Steubing. That's what's going on, which is, in my mind, a, a better movie than this was. I still had fun with it, but. I watched it once regular. And I'm like, okay. But I watched it a second time just to see if I missed anything. And the second I watched it at, at one and a half times speed, it was still fucking slow. <laughs> there's so there, there's some cool stuff that happens, but the thing is that it's a long time in between any cool shit happens. Well, I, I think a lot of that can be attributed to that we've kind of seen this movie already twice before. Yes. And I think also in a lot of ways, uh, the more I go back and watch a lot of 80s action movies and actiony type movies, yeah, there, there's not a lot of action in a lot of action movies back then. Um, there's just, uh, yeah, no. I mean, com compared to the first two, this one is like, for me, it was like a giant step down. Um, yeah. See, for some reason... And I found this out probably about like 20 minutes into this movie um, where all of the sudden uh, we we flash forward to Sean in the future played by David Bradley. Wow. And he his fight scenes were better than any of the fight scenes that were in the previous two movies. They were. I started going, holy shit. Do I like David Bradley better than duty? Mm. Is this really happening right now? I mean, I want to hear opinions on this. Scott, you obviously have opinions. Well, <laughs> God, maybe I got to re-examine the fight scenes or something. But okay, the, now the fourth movie is going to be another story. Yeah, completely. But just focusing on number three right now. David Bradley, first of all, I remember, I don't know when I first saw the ad for this movie. I'm like, oh shit, they did an American Ninja 3. And I immediately saw the poster and went, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> I'm like, who took away my Dudikoff? And I was like, oh boy, okay, I'm going to still watch it. Who am I kidding? And um, I, of course, watched it as soon as it came on DVD or video, oh, 
Oh my fuck it. VHS, sorry. Time traveled there. Um but um and of course the guy came on screen. I'm like again, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And I was watching this movie again, like knowing full well and actually appreciating David Bradley in movies like Cyborg Cop, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. And I'm watching this I'm like thinking, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> because in this movie, American Ninja 3, maybe I need to re-examine the fight scenes. I don't know. But I wasn't more impressed by the fight scenes. And the guy, it's, I thought he had zero charisma. Oh, man. Zero. I don't at he all. didn't do anything in this movie. He had no personality whatsoever. He barely spoke, which is something that will be reversed in the next movie, incidentally. Um, he barely spoke. And when he did, you didn't care. So I was just kind of like, no, he just doesn't have any, he just doesn't bring it in this movie, which is too bad because, you know, immediately, cause even though I was saying, who the hell is this guy? Even at, like, I was a B movie fan from way back. So I just looked at that. I first thought was, who the hell is this guy? And the second thought was, canon. <laughs> you know, just knowing that Canon would totally do something like this and pull a switcheroo and say, okay, we have to get somebody new. He said no. Uh, and that's what happened this time. And uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I just didn't I didn't think David Bradley he just didn't bring it. He just well, didn't bring see, it this is movie. this I'm is what, sorry. Well, this is why I think I like him better because honestly, especially not to jump the gun and, and go to number four, is that they're virtually interchangeable. <laughs> There's really no difference between the two of them. I mean, duty was not. Oh, let me finish. The duty was was not an action guy whatsoever. No, In, he never was. He was a comedic actor. David Bradley actually knows martial arts. Exactly. So his fight scenes aren't just cut fests. They are cut up he's allowed to actually have choreography and actually have fights. Okay, I'm researching. While you talk, I'm going to research. How much martial arts did David Bradley know going into American Ninja? <laughs> I think that Duty. they actually knew an equal amount, honestly. Well, Dudikoff didn't know any going into the first he didn't know any. I don't, think, I don't think David Bradley did either, did he? <laughs> he must have had a basic knowledge because... Um, um, it's much. He's, he's a former karate champion. Is he really? <laughs> ding 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 ding. No, trained, I will, no, I will trained totally in karate, admit. Shotokan, Kempo, Tai Chi, and Aikido. Okay, I, you know what? I theory on this. I admit, I I can admit when I'm wrong. Then I'm surprised, but I didn't think he brought any. I didn't think he brought brought any charisma to the role, but I will completely admit when I am wrong. Well, uh, well there's, there's a difference between karate skills and charisma. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree with that totally, Glenn. I'm, uh, he does, I mean, he does, and he does not have he does not have duty's hair. Well, that so, that is true. He, he has like a big bowl on his head with just fucking hair. But there's a difference when you're dealing with in film, when you're dealing with somebody that actually knows martial arts and you're you're trying to make someone look like they know martial arts. And visually what that is, is that and you can always tell the difference between American action films and Asian action films, because Asian action films, at least old school ones, <laughs> used to allow what are you laughing about, Scott? I'm sorry. I'm 
was looking at I was doing I I I no go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to hijack. I was doing research while I was while you were saying this so I could find out. And has anybody looked at David Bradley's uh, Wikipedia page? Under personal life. This is why Wikipedia, why the editing things of it. It says, and I quote, and to prove myself wrong, David Bradley is chained, is trained in Shotokan karate, black belt, Kempo, Tai Chi, and Aikido. He retired from acting to join the circus for his ability of one hand juggling and for his superpower of eating muffins. <laughs> Well, the, the case closed then. I say, I Maybe swear that, to God, that is what his Wikipedia page says. Okay then. <laughs> Thank you for the facts. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that knowledge came out that David Bradley <laughs> has a superpower of eating muffins. I, I did not mean to interrupt. I it. also have superpower for eating muff. I did not mean to interrupt or anything like that, but I'm like reading this researching. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have I'm a sorry. superpower of juggling with one hand. I apologize. <laughs> Mark has a superpower for juggling balls <laughs> with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> While the other one's <laughs> tightly on the shaft. <laughs> well, what else are you going to do with it? <laughs> Okay, anyways, what the point I was trying to make is that when you're shooting with people that actually know martial arts, you can have wide master shots where people actually fight each other. And it looks good because they know how to deliver punches and how to choreograph that in a way that it looks genuine. And it, when you're dealing with somebody that has no idea how to do that, you have to fake it with editing and camera angles. Mm -hmm. And the difference between this film and the previous two films is obvious. It's in the editing. His action scenes and his fights breathe. You can tell he's comfortable doing this shit and can do more than a punch or a kick here. So that's why, for me, action movies that are martial arts films where there's people that are actually like attempting to do roundhouse kicks and all this other shit, when you can see what's going on and there's not this frantic energy of editing going in the action scenes, I tend to enjoy them more because there's artistry. It's like a dance. There's artistry to it where most action films now just like drive me fucking nuts. It's like the Lord of the Rings syndrome where all the fights are like one second cuts and you have mm -hmm. no fucking idea what's going on. So Daniel, we haven't talked to you. You're the American Ninja super fan here. What did you think the duty versus Bradley debate that we're having here? Well, this is a, I mean, th this is a joining of the two halves. This is yin and yang. We have the biography of Michael Dudikoff. We've already been through the. <laughs> I like how you're still trying to convince us that the, these are actual biographies. These aren't narrative <laughs> fiction in any way. Just listen now. We've had two movies of the nativity of of uh, Michael Dudikoff and we've learned his story. Well, he has to stay and save the U S because apparently the ninja threat has not subsided. I mean, we have NES games to tell us about that. I mean, you just, you can go and pick, pick your poison and enjoy it. World heroes, bad dudes. I mean, what do you want to play target renegade? Okay. So Michael Dudikoff has to handle that. Well, we need a protege. The world is not safe. We need someone else before he became cybernetically enhanced and decided to go into law enforcement. <laughs> David, Bradley. David Bradley 
has now joined in the fight. So what we're seeing is the nativity of David Bradley as a kid. It's very unfortunate times. Some people would laugh and call it kickboxer mixed with Beverly Hills Cop 2. Thankfully, we didn't have uh, Eddie Murphy, to, you know, with a anything like that. We just got the unfortunate thing of, you know, people getting killed and whatnot. The fight sequences. I will say this, and I actually did make a note of this because however, whatever you want to say about the movie, I will say this with the fight sequences. I see what they wanted to do. The main thing, and I think this is the problem just to bring Steve James into this too. The problem with him and with David Bradley, they didn't have enough time to get familiar with it. And the other problem is they were having to hold back. That was what I got. Like if you watch American Ninja three and watch those fight sequences, they're cool, but you can see that they're not giving everything in the fight. And I think that's because they didn't want to kill the ninjas that they were fighting. <laughs> if you watch, they have to hold, you can see them, especially Steve James when, when he's wielding a sword, but um, David, Brad, sword. most of his kicks, like you can see with his kicks that he'll, you know, he can, he can go high with his kick, but you can tell the angle that he's not really hitting them. However, as soon as he goes for punches or grabs and stuff, you can see him hesitate slightly. I think he has to hold back. So that's one problem. I think what that they had with the fighting sequences, but ultimately, Hey, he's an actual martial artist, which is something that we can actually have. Michael Dudikoff is just the manliness. Okay. So now we have to have somebody else with the training. When these two people meet, Y'all motherfuckers, watch out. Okay, I'm just... Well, let's not jump... Let's not jump the gun and <laughs> and uh, talk about what a bait and fucking switch the fourth one is. Yes. <laughs> um, but we still got to get lousy with some ninjas. And I'm oh, just yeah. glad that the world had David Bradley. The world needed David Bradley, and he was there for the world. And I'm glad. <laughs> so, speaking of which, so we go from this opening sequence where Sean then, of course, trains to become a ninja by a dude with this ridiculously huge goatee in a, a training sequence, not unlike the montage in Bloodsport, where he becomes David Bradley and a ninja. Now, uh, Scott, you have opinions about this huge goatee. Let's talk about this huge fake goatee that uh, the dude that the thing, David Bradley has. The thing that remind, uh, amazed me about this is that, okay, I rem, I was watching this movie and I I re realized that it was like about, God, more than 20 years since I had seen this movie. And I remember watching it before, back then. And even then I remembered that beard was out of control. <laughs> and I remembered that. The thing was that I remembered them immediately going ahead and showing the transition in time to like, you know, 15 years or 20 years or however long it is from when the time Dave, there's a little American ninja to the time there's a big American ninja, David Bradley. At the beginning, it just says one year <laughs> and he grows this gigantic goatee. <laughs> which is obviously just glued on in this time period. And then thank God they have the presence of mind to just keep the goatee for as long as they have it. But it would have been easier for them to, instead of like showing him older and gluing the goatee onto it, it would have been easier to actually show him 
in quick cutaways as he was younger and then cut to an older actor. They didn't have the presence of mind to do that. They instead glued this thing, which was, and I'm talking about something where if you saw this in a community theater production of something, you would say, wow, okay, your guy called in sick, didn't he? (laughs) I mean, it's a really bad beard. Please, somebody, come on, somebody please get my back on this. This is a bad beard. It's a canon movie. Yeah, I was just no this Even you're going to pay a second actor when they can slap a 50 cent goatee on this guy? I'm just saying that why not, I'm just saying that why not get the, why not get, like, do it in, like, cutaways as a younger actor getting in the, in the younger crowd like just like give him like a bad wig in the younger thing since we see because like because then you bitch about the bad wig because what well, we see like 20 <laughs> but we see 20 seconds of him in the bad wig when he he would be younger here we're stuck with him for the whole freaking movie with this I, bad beard. i'm far more concerned with a scene that comes in later because eventually what's up <laughs> happening is is david bradley of course goes to an island for a fight tournament so that the Cobra, who's the big bad in this movie, I mean, there's always some white dude that has a ninja training facility on his premises that is looking to get superhuman <laughs> ninjas for some unknown reason for world domination. Anyways, he <laughs> is hosting a, a fight tournament in order to find people to turn into superhuman ninjas. And uh, this karate championship, for some reason, David Bradley is there as an ambassador for the Americans and he meets Steve James and then they meet another dude. And while they're out trying to scam for chicks at some diner, he notices that his ninja master is kidnapped. So he goes after him. And the scene I wanted to talk about is he follows him and finds out. I mean, we're not going to talk about the switcheroo yet. But he finds out that the bad guys are keeping his ninja master captive in a 14-year-old girl's bedroom. <laughs> so I don't what the fuck is going on? Why why is the guy with the really shitty goatee hanging out in a 14-year-old girl's bedroom? <laughs> So I think this is more of an indication of the fact that they really didn't have much to work with <laughs> in this movie. I mean, there. let's talk about just the ridiculousness of some of the stupid padding in this movie. There's a lot of running around. There's not much for plot. There's not much for character development. The relationship between David Bradley and Steve James is flimsy at best. There's an entire sequence in this fucking movie. they have to use motorized gliders (sighs) to try (laughs) and infiltrate this fucking compound and all it is is a bunch of fucking stuntmen or stock guys wrapped up in vo i mean this could have just all been stock footage we don't fucking This whole fucking movie is literally people running around doing nothing. There's an underwater fight scene with stock footage of sharks. 
I mean, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of malarkey in this motherfucker. Dan, what did you think about the vast majority of this movie being padding sequences? I literally didn't like add anything to the movie. I hope you like piano. And I hope you when I say I hope you like piano scores, I hope you like one six second little ditty of him (laughs) running up and then down the keyboard. So, in other words, let me see, because I could do 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 it for you. And it's going to be the same impact as you're going to hear in this goddamn movie 30 million times. (laughs) 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 The underscore was cool because I'm a synth nut. So that underscore was really awesome. But that fucking piano lick i swear to god i was reading because i actually looked it up and it was something about the american ninja 3 didn't even have a composer they ripped the uh, or if it did they didn't have much of one they ripped just like one little sound sample from opposing force and <laughs> just looped it over and over in this film so that right there just kind of kicked me in the groin as far as you know so if there's no music then why do i care so i'm still gonna watch it and then we get all the running <laughs> and all the looking and then the stopping and the running and then the sighing, the, <sighs> and then Steve James being like ninjas. I mean, we're done with the whole secret art of assassination that he's explained to us in the first two movies. Now it's just <sighs> ninjas gone. And then we ride ultralights with the VO segments. And then we hear the piano lick again and then they fight. And then they run and then we'll hear the piano lick and then they'll fight a little bit more. And then, you know, the fight's over whenever you hear the low synth kick in. So it'll be like, (laughs) and then the fight's over. And then, you know, they're going to sneak because you'll hear the hi-hat kick in the (laughs) like that. And then they'll walk around a little bit and then somebody will jump out and be like, and they'll be like, I've seen this. And I can't tell where my imagination is ending in the movie's beginning, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) This movie, I I love that. Let's bring up Steve James. Let's talk about his role in this movie a little bit. (laughs) Because, uh, like you said, Steve James just is kind of like thrust into this because he was in the other movies. And his role, again, is just to be the sidekick that once ninjas. show up and he doesn't know sean for shit from anybody uh and sean explains when his master gets kidnapped and put into that 14 year old girl's bedroom that <laughs> this that all of a sudden david bradley goes look i have a master izumo he raised me since my father's killing no way i'm ninja you're a ninja yes so that explains a few things. <laughs> by this point, by this point, the, the the scripts were openly. Steve James's dialogue in this movie is openly common, uh, is an open commentary on. Can you believe how fucking ridiculous these movies are? <laughs> I mean, even in the towards the end, he's like, "Why does it always have to be?" <laughs> Oh my god, that was so funny. He's constantly calm. I mean, he is the he is the voice of the audience in this movie, which I love. Steve James is the MVP third time running. 
after he you know he finds out that there's a master there's ninjas they're chasing him he they just go down the street of course they run after him and down the street is uh ninjas a fight and he goes well got no choice it's another day of fighting ninjas James. <laughs> in every single fucking scene he's in it takes him all of 30 seconds to take his shirt off I don't think he has his shirt on in this movie for more than five fucking seconds. Which is too bad because the first shirt he shows up in is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> We're laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> fucking love it. I fucking Glenn, do you think Steve James was totally just wasted in this movie? Of course. He's wasted in every movie. <laughs> they never utilize him to his full potential. They come close, close. Why is anyone in this movie? It, it didn't, it's, I mean, take out the padding, and yeah, it's. I mean, just let's just skip to back to two. Can we do that? <laughs> well, the the bad thing about Steve James in this movie, besides you know the fact that all he is is just like a one liner machine, and the one liners are fucking ridiculously y'all. overdone at that. But he is basically relegated to the buddy character. But most of the movie, he's buddied up with an even lesser side character. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. not even buddied up with, with fucking Sean or David Bradley the entire movie. He's buddied up with some dude that just unceremoniously gets offed <laughs> toward the end of the movie. So he just, like, the entire fucking series of American Ninja, he is just some background nonsense. It's so fucking disappointing. So anyway, is not to just make this a I'm crying because Steve James is wasted yet again. So the boys have to try and make their way into the Cobra's lair to get his master. And they infiltrate it with, as we had said before, this ridiculous scene with motorized gliders and a bunch of other fucking nonsense. And um, of course, we get to the compound and what color are the ninjas that are guarding? <laughs> they're not black. It's at nighttime. You'd think they would be black. No, they're neon blue. <laughs> guarding this place, which is basically uh, the blood sport set from the last movie, just been upgraded. Now it's ninjas and karate dudes, and the big bad that's leading them is a female version of Vinnie Vincent, who is a, a, a double-crossing secret agent who's trying to take the Cobra down. The rest of this movie is just a bunch of fucking stupid nonsense where there's people being clumsily thrown downstairs. Steve James calls the Vinnie Vincent female um, a ninjet. (laughs) (laughs) It's just fucking stupidity. Um, Seth, once we get to this fucking complex and it's just all out ninja hijinks, what are your thoughts? I, I don't know how anybody did not see these gliders coming. <laughs> like, this is a secret compound guarded on all sides by God knows how many ninjas and security guards, and nobody sees a fucking glider coming over the fence? Man, I appreciated the scene where it kind of starts on the, the outskirts within the building, like the outskirts of the... The building, it's like an office setting. And we get like really shitty ninjas there guarding fax machines. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the more powerful ninjas are towards the center in the arena, Bloodsport Arena, until you get to the Cobra and the uh, 
like the dead center of the the building, the complex with the uh, science lab. I I don't know. I just like the I like the the office ninjas that are guarding you know, reams of paper and. and it's just it's complete ludicrous nonsense steve james is wielding swords and doesn't have a fucking clue what to do with them uh the sidekick guy that is being babysat by steve james is just in the way of everything i I love it it's ridiculous i i love how not remo williams is uh he's infected yet he's not oh i'm sorry david bradley um how he's infected yet he's not I was trying to figure out, you know, the virus that he had and why he was chosen. And I'm watching and I'm like, okay, no, he's a little ill. No, wait, no, now he's not. Now he's fighting fine. No, wait, now he's ill. And so we get into this final sequence. Um, Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it makes me wonder in the American ninja world, is there like wholesale ninja? Like, like there's one company farming out all these ninjas that are like, oh, we lost these guys in, in, in the first American Ninja. Well, no, we still got this stable of guys. We'll send those out to you. It's like the same freaking ninjas. Yeah, they go to budgetninja.com. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they go there on Black Friday because you get the best deals on ninjas. And for some reason, blue ninjas were really dirt cheap at that time. <laughs> they were. So they, they ordered 100 blue ninjas and they got them shipped Amazon Prime free shipping all the way to the Cobra's compound. Well, it's it's either that or it's the fact that it's the same like massive group of ninjas and they're just traveling ninjas to the next bad guy, kind of like minions. It's like roadies. <laughs> they have a talent. They need to use it. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, what's amazing is that, of course, um, now I'd read this somewhere. So don't, you know, if it turns out to be wrong, just get just point at me and laugh. But uh, the, we'll uh, anyway. but yeah, true. <laughs> but the, um, but, you know, of course, the whole idea of ninjas being clad in black and everything like that, that's just actually a misnomer. It comes from the uh, Kabuki Theater, where they would have people clad in black who were there to, you know, move sets around and stuff like that. And that was where that came from. And ninjas didn't look anything like that. But here's the thing is that still we have an idea that ninjas are supposed to be clad in black so that they could blend into the night. And then, of course, we see things like G.I. Joe, okay, Storm Shadow, but obviously meant to blend into the snow where he's going yes. to, you know, blend in. When it got into, you know, red and blue and yellow ninja, and this is what I'm going to always think Whoa. about when I think about the American Ninja movies, is I will think about the the multicolored ninja is that that was what it was. And you kind of look at it, you shake your head, you say, man, can you believe how goofy this is? And of course, almost on a dare, you know, Joseph Lai and and Godfrey Ho (laughs) come up with ninja bandanas and everything like that in their movies, and that's a whole other ball of wax. But, yeah, no, I think that uh, if I was to watch an American Ninja movie and it didn't have primary color ninjas... I would leave disappointed. (laughs) Well, these ninjas in general, not even just their color. They are just, we aren't dealing with ninjas anymore that are, that are the masters of stealth and assassination. Let's list off some of the traits that they have in this movie. Every single time they jump into a fight, they scream, announce themselves. (laughs) Um, They drive cars in this movie. 
We learn that female ninjas are the masters of impersonation and can change into different people like Dark Man. Including voices. <laughs> Two different voices. I'm going to hit on that later because that's, to me, one of the cool things about American Ninja is their, the use of that. Is the ninja magic. It's like just the same way that I was intrigued with Puppet Master, how they flirt with the magic and stuff. That's the same way with American Ninja in every single movie. We get some little three, five second little hint. And it's whenever like she uses the disguises and stuff, which I thought was kind of clever the way that they edited it to make it look like, you know, it was a different actor. But then, you know, she peels the face off. So that was cool. But then eventually, was it David Bradley season? He's like, Koyashi or whatever the fuck he says, like Japanese. In other words, he's like ninja magic. And I'm like, I was like, Holy fuck, just like part one, whenever old dude disappeared and laser ninja shot him, and then part two, it's like they contort their fingers and then they do the ninja magic. I just sorry, that's I just I love how much of a pop you get out of that. That is just so fucking awesome to me. Is that all they gotta do is say say that whatever fucking bullshit Japanese, and all of a sudden Dan's like, I'm fucking in. <laughs> that's part of the why i liked it is that it's so much the movie is so mundane and yet they do that one little hint and i mean all it takes is one word and you have already implanted that suggestion into everyone watching the movie and so that anyone following it has just opened up now the american ninja has magic plus Again, so he turns this, into a bat, so he turns into a ninja after this nonsense. And what what does he do? He shoots a dude with a pop gun. Hell yeah! <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's this is all. I mean, they build up this stuff, and I I totally get where you're coming from because I also like. There's something about, you know, the romanticism of, of some of this stuff that that I, I really dig and I could let go of the ridiculousness. But then it just like it just shits the entire bed. This sounds like I'm hating on this movie. I really liked watching this movie. But let's be honest when we talk about this. There's some stupid shit in here. I mean, we just said, Sean, you know, he's fighting this virus. He's been um, kidnapped. And they're trying to find the antidote because the B team shows up in order to rescue him with Steve James and the lesser fucking side character. So Steve James is going into this place. He hits a dude in the dick with an AK-47 and takes out a big sword that turns into two, which I thought was actually one of the coolest shots in the entire movie when he takes that sword and turns it into two swords. I'm it's like, on the, the poster. Way- yeah, the way they show him and they do it and they blocked it. I'm like, fuck that's badass that's awesome and then what ends up happening he barely knows how to swing the fucking sword <laughs> it just kind of run into him and blah 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 so eventually steve james kicks uh this lesser minion's ass and gets the antidote and uh catches up with sean but sean for some reason has to fight a group of nude dudes that are superhuman ninjas that's right, mutant ninjas. The mutant ninjas that all of a sudden turn uh, the new dudes turn into red ninjas, Fuck and yeah, uh, Sean gets blinded by a white light, getting his ninja mojo shit back, and it culminates into literally one of the worst final battles I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it was just fucking just awful. 
This is a terrible fighting sequence. It's just this so cool. Mutants, Ninja, Matt, this is a fucking video game. This is everything that we have played since we were little kids. I'm serious, dude. You just walk around into a compound and what do they have guard? Just random ninjas. It's like Wrath of the Black Manta. Who do they have guarding the compound? Oh, just random ninjas. Why? Who the fuck cares? It's the 80s, man. It's like bad dudes. Ninjas have kidnapped yep. the president. Are you a bad enough dude to rescue him? <laughs> that's the story I need. That's the same with American Ninja. This dude that go into a compound that's guarded by Renta Ninjas and they fight him. The closer they get, the tougher the ninjas get. It's so it's like when they start on the outskirts, yeah, they're blue, but then they turn red and then they turn yellow and then they get stronger. And then the more you beat them up, the colors change. And then he eventually does. You remember in the first American Ninja, how they caught the arrow and then rolled and then tossed the arrow into the shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Well, see, he does that in this film to kill a dude. He kills two ninjas with two hands. Mr. Cyborg Cop, David Bradley, before he becomes Cyborg Cop, shows you how it's done. And dude, goes- I, I popped big when he caught those fucking arrows and th- literally throws them at the fucking ninjas and they get killed. And then what does he do at the end? He fights mutant ninjas. They were dudes standing there, but then they've been mutant enhanced. And then they come on and then they cast ninja magic and they're red ninjas. And he has to fight four red ninja bosses. I mean, dude, we are watching a video game. Ninja magic. Yeah. <laughs> ninja yeah. magic. Holy shit. <laughs> Where's my aspirin? I think I said that very dude, thing dude, when I was watching the movie. <laughs> dude broke it down. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I gotta say, even though I'm complaining a lot, all of this shit made me smile, made me laugh. I had a great time watching this. These movies, even with how this movie literally had no plot. It was a series of scenes of people running in one direction. This could have been, this is like the American Ninja version of Fury Road, where it's just a bunch of dudes running to one destination. The entire fucking movie. I still had a lot of fun with it because it's the kind of brainless, not canon nonsense that we've all come to kind of love as shitty action fans. So um, last thing I want to talk about before we give final thoughts is perhaps the greatest final song on an end credits I've ever come across. The Cobra Strikes. Now, now, I want to hear Seth Paulin talk about how hard he popped when you heard this fucking song. (laughs) I've heard this song like a hundred times before I had no idea it was from this movie. I popped the Blu-ray in and the menu starts playing. And wait, I wait, wait, this, this is on Blu-ray? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, someone put it out in the UK. I think oh, shit, I'm going to fucking Amazon right now. I think it's on the in America, too. Uh, no, not quite. I don't think it's America yet. Someone put out at least the first one in America. Yeah. But one through four on Blu-ray from 88 films, because that's how I've watched them. They look pretty good. Anyway, oh, yeah, menu's playing. Awesome. Menu's playing. The Cobra Strike song comes on, and I fucking mark out. I am so amped. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just watching the movie, and I'm like, oh, man, it's coming. And, you know, they introduce the Cobra character. And I'm like, oh, there he is. He's going to be some badass ninja hiding in some old guy suit, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, he gets done kicking the, the mutant ninja's asses, and then it's like Cobra's got him. 
they're like one on one, and the Cobra just fucking sucks. Oh man, he, he <laughs> he's sucks just like an old guy. He's like he's like an old guy. I was expecting him to pull out some like mystical ninja kung fu shit. I have just, opinions about that. He doesn't do anything, <laughs> and to make it worse, the song isn't even playing. And then Steve James, you know, comes in, rescues him. They have like the little antidote thing and fucking arm around the shoulder, closing shot and the credits hit. And then the song plays. And I'm just like, man, this is some bullshit. (laughs) I've never been so dissatisfied with hearing that song. Why didn't that song play two minutes earlier? (laughs) Man, I mean, I still love the song. And the ending is really dissatisfying because I thought the whole movie was a lot of fun. Man, that song would have been fucking sweet over a badass closing battle. <laughs> that was far more fucking epic than I fucking was expecting. Oh, for real, dude. Was, I feel that. That was that was some real shit right there. Probably worked up, man. Sessa, man. <laughs> so, so, Scott, what were you talking about? Your opinions on the Cobra? My opinion is about based on the guy who plays him. This guy, now, when he comes on screen, he's very subdued, and he's a businessman, and he has some really awful, sleazy, cheesy, lounge lizard, erotic wall art, (laughs) you know, and he's just very subdued, and it shouldn't be like that, because this dude is played by Marjo Gortner. Guys, do you know about this guy? This guy is amazing. This guy is amazing. This guy started show business career at four years old by his abusive parents who were part of the evangelical uh, uh, Pentecostal circuit of uh, preachers who used to tell people like about faith healers and shit. And he was primed as the world's youngest ordained evangelist. Jesus. There are like records of this guy. I'm here. Hi, my name is Marjo Gortner. I'm here to give the de- devil two black eyes. And he would introduce himself. And he was like six years old into town. He was primed as this and was beaten by his parents, was abused by his parents while he was taught to be this person who would swindle people for their money. Get this. Get what this guy did. He then. Went on his own after he got away from his folks. And then it appeared like he's coming back into the fold. He's going to he's going to preach the word. He's going to all the Pentecostal things. And he has a lot of love for it still. But in truth, he was, you know, getting to know himself. You know, he was smoking dope. He was getting to know the world. He was getting to have a bigger outlook on life, you know, spiritual healing, that kind of shit. And he brought a documentary crew with him. And he says, this is going to be my documentary about how I'm coming back and I'm faith healing and I'm meeting with all these people and everything. And what he did instead is he used it to expose all of these faith healers and evangelists as the hucksters and carnival tent swindlers that they were showing him counting the money and showing his conflict between part of him that still had a little bit of faith and his absolute disgust with the abuse he had faced and how he knew it was a sham and he released it as a documentary called marjo 
in the 1970s that won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. And it is the most amazing fucking thing you've ever seen in your life. And then he went on and became a really bad actor. <laughs> yeah, he has tons of B-movie credits. Yeah, in like films like Earthquake, Star Crash, you know, films like that. Mausoleum. And- mausoleum oh amazing mausoleum i love that movie and you know films like that where he's just became he said okay well i know show business i guess i'll be an actor and he was in an actor movie. the thing about this that i think they ruined a really good opportunity is that he's supposed to be is he's this very he's called the cobra and he's this very subdued person he should be preaching he should be like i'm gonna t- take the ninja magic out of you he should be <laughs> all of that but he's not but man seriously look this dude up this guy is fat you know say what you will about his acting talent this guy is fascinating as hell what he did so i was really stoked i'm like yes another marjo gordner film and then it came up and i'm like oh <laughs> i just knew there's nothing i mean his character's barely in this movie he's barely in the movie and it's like i mean come on if you have and it's even says special appearance by marjo gortner but you know he's in even though he's in the movie a lot i mean think about this if you could say and marjo gortner as the cobra good god that's b-movie gold right there yeah, and he's got his own fucking theme song <laughs> yes that's a great theme song too they'd squander it they totally squander it but not a great fan of the of the performance not a great fan of what they did with the character big fan of the dude <laughs> big fan of the dude very interesting very interesting well folks let's go ahead and let's wrap this on now let's give final thoughts to american ninja 3 blood hunt uh, Mark, the movie man, what were your final thoughts? Uh, you know, as, as the series goes, uh, you missed the Dudikoff, uh, but it was appreciated that there was talent there that David Bradley was showing in, in some of the fight choreography. You could definitely tell the, the fight scenes were handled differently. As far as the story goes, though, I didn't think they could get more wafer thin from, you know, number two and number one, but Holy crap, they did. I'm like, wow, this all seems really familiar, but it's not nearly as deep as... <laughs> and that's saying something. Uh, but, you know, you get to see Steve James, but yeah, he is, uh, you know, he's more of a sidekick now, James. For where it sits in the series and, and the one we're going to talk about next, it's watchable. <laughs> it, it's definitely not... You know, especially if you've made it first per, past the first two films, this one's definitely watchable. You just miss Dudikoff because of those steely blue eyes. <laughs> well, that that sounds like uh, boner jams for Mark the Movie Man. He was missing out on his boner jams from the duty. So, um, Glenn, final thoughts. Uh, American Ninja 3, much like the multicolored ninjas in the movie, is a bag of Jolly Ranchers. Sure, you could eat them. You might actually like him a little bit, but there's a lot of better stuff out there that you could have that doesn't get stuck in your teeth. And this one is just hard to chew, man. It really is. It just, there's so much nothing in this movie. Even the fact that you do get some better fights a little bit with Zoolander than you do with the dude. It's not worth it in the end. Did anyone ever tell you, Glenn, that you're not supposed to chew Jolly Ranchers? (laughs) Uh... 
fucking America, dude. I can chew whatever I want. <laughs> Good answer. I, I didn't realize this was Communist Ninja 3 that we were checking out here. <laughs> this is Burka, damn it. I'll chew him if I want. <laughs> so, Dan, old final thoughts. Oh, man. This is just... this. <clears throat> All right. Truthfully, it's obviously not as good as the first two, but I mean, that's like saying a cheese pizza is not as good as a three meat pizza. It's still pizza and it's still fucking good. It's just the movie's got a lot going for it. I mean, despite the low budget, I mean, you we can see the pacing just like a video game. 80s synthy ish type styled underscore when it plays and now that stupid piano check humor check. Martial arts, check. Ninjas, check. Gunfights, check. Mutants, check. Mutant ninjas, check. Magic, check. Evil company that wants to take over the world via terrorism using mutant ninjas, check. <laughs> Ninja versus the army battle in the parking lot at the end, check. And a cheesy ending credit song that's bad as fuck, check. If I mean, seriously, what more can I say? <laughs> the movie was checks. <laughs> that's it checks and balances man we're ninjas <laughs> uh seth if you've made it to american ninja 3 it's because you enjoyed american ninja 1 and 2 you're gonna enjoy it i don't see how you are a fan of the first two and watch this one and go hmm, no it's <laughs> lacking but even the lacking spots have silly shit going on the underwater fight i don't know if, if underwater kicks and punches would hurt but it made for a cool scene. The gliders are still as hell. I don't know about you, Seth, but I had a flashback to Lucio Fulci zombie for a second. I thought we were going to get a shark versus fucking David Bradley. Scene. Hey, if, if it would have happened, man, this would have been some legendary shit. <laughs> and it's not legendary, but it's still pretty fun. So I think as of uh, now, it's my least favorite in the series, but it's still a good time. I I'm going to agree with you on this one, Scott. No, I'm not going to do this. I'm sorry. I know I can't. I'm sorry. I, you know, I think that Dan is absolutely right when he put, okay, it's cheese pizza, but it's still pizza. Okay, I can get that. And there are still parts that I enjoy. I like how goofy a lot of this stuff is. I really do. I'm not that dead inside quite yet. <laughs> but... but but this is not my but american i am ninja. dead inside <laughs> but this is not my american ninja it's very obviously not thought through it's just this really shameless say attempt to keep it going for as much as possible i mean by that now we're in the waiting uh, years of canon uh golden globus not even a lot uh, uh, involved it's now uh Harry Allen Towers that was producing, um, or as Tom Servo might say, Harry Allen Towers, and just a little reference there. Anyway, but it's uh, it's just not up to snuff. I'm sorry, everything about it seems like a really poor imitation. I could not stand the glider scene. Uh, well, it goes on for fucking ever. It and goes it's on voiceover. It goes on forever, and it's just voiceover, and. I just didn't have the sense of humor to stand by it this time. So I said, at the end of it, I said, almost, 
but I just can't. I just can't quite recommend it. I'm sorry. No. Give me a Vice Academy any day, man. Yeah, you're just trolling at this point. <laughs> I, I, that, that's that's some bullshit right there. Because I'll, I'll tell you, like Dan, I agree. This is pizza. I could watch this all day, any day, all day, vape. This this shit was was hot. I loved it. I had a great time. Yeah, I bitched a lot about it. I made a lot of fun about it. But damn, I could watch shit like this all the time, and I'd be happy. Turn your brain off. Watch some stupid ninjas. Watch Steve James tear his shirt off within five seconds and kick people in the face. It's all I fucking need. And it delivered. So, folks, that's American Ninja 3. Everybody agrees that it was amazing. So we're going to move on to <laughs> American Ninja 4, The Annihilation, made in 1990. We only have a few days before the media gets a hold of this. Then all hell will break loose. Michael Dudikoff. David Bradley. Together, for the first time, American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. When the enemy is ruthless. This is not a game. Those were ninja. Merciless. Cut the slime down like Doug, you understand? And holds the world hostage. It has enough power to blow New York off the face of the earth. It takes more than courage. I got a bad feeling about this, Sean. You need the power of an American ninja. If you can get us to the Dragon Fort, you may have a chance. Twice the speed. Twice the skill. Four times as deadly. Michael Dudikoff, David Bradley, American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. Again, directed by Cedric Sundstrom, we attempt to reconcile all of the American ninjas now into one film. Unfortunately, we did not have Steve James in this one, but the pull in the gimmick to this one was Michael Dudikoff is back and he's going to team up with David Bradley. Or is he? Well, <laughs> the synopsis would tell you that this is about two American ninjas, Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson, that team up to do battle against a terrorist and his band of ninjas. But I don't want to piss on your parade. What is the one thing I'm going to ask this question before we, we start into the breakdown, before we do anything, I'm going to ask this question of every one of my panelists right now. When you see the cover of this movie, you read the synopsis, what is the one thing you want in this movie, Seth Paulin? I want to see Joe Armstrong, Sean Davidson, back-to-back, spin-kicking the fuck out of some ninjas. <laughs> okay. Daniel. I want to see Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson, whatever, back-to-back, spin-kicking the fuck out of some ninjas. <laughs> Glenn. I want to see uh, Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson deflecting ninja lasers back into ninjas and cutting them into pieces. Mark the movie man. I want to see Joe Armstrong and Sean back to back kicking ninja ass for like 90 minutes. 
Scott Davis. I want to see Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson back-to-back fighting ninjas, fighting Kith Lou, shooting lasers, starting a dance tour, doing everything. But I want to see them working together for the whole movie and kicking ass. Fuck yeah. Yes. And and you want to see him doing it with Steve James. Yes. yes. That would oh be amazing. But yes. Yes. Unfortunately, yes. we don't have that. And unfortunately, not to piss on the parade, we don't have them fighting together at all in this fucking movie. We get one sequence toward the end where it is a switcheroo where somebody is dressed up like David Bradley fighting Dudikoff. And we find out it's not really him. So it's it's like evil bootleg David Bradley in a throwaway fight scene. And then they never are on screen together. And that was the best scene in the whole movie, in my opinion. I I mean, just to, just not to poo-poo all the, all like right off the bat here. But the one thing this movie is selling you never happens. Never happens. This movie is literally like two movies that were mashed together and sold as something else. (laughs) So when I watched this entire thing, which I, I mean, I'll say for what it is, it's a stupid action movie. I enjoyed it somewhat. But when you have Michael Dudikoff and David Bradley in the same movie and you show them on the goddamn cover with fucking katanas looking like they're going to fucking destroy everything and it never <laughs> happens, you could go eat a bag of dicks <laughs> because that is some fucking grade A bullshit. So, okay, let's move on. Let's go ahead and start talking about this movie. Now that I've already pissed on the entire parade, I mean, by the time this movie was done and the last 10 minutes when you, when that knowledge sinks in, you're just like checking your watch the entire fucking time. When is this thing going to end? When is this thing going to end? And the only time they ever exchange dialogue is the last fucking shot when duty just tells him Sean you can find me at the school and that's it that's the only fucking interaction they have in the whole goddamn movie <laughs> you're thinking like okay so is American Ninja 5 about him like checking him out at the school and like taking some classes <laughs> I don't know but let's let before we uh, we get to the end of this movie I just needed to get that out. I needed to get the real bullshit out because that is like, that is some grade A switcheroo bait and switch bullshit. That's some nonsense. You sell this thing as a team up of all the American ninjas and it never fucking happens. Some nonsense. Anyways, so we start this movie off with a bunch of army dudes running around a fucking desert. <laughs> and of course they they encounter ninjas and we find out finally something everyone on earth knew already ninjas aren't good against bullets <laughs> <laughs> they fucking die all over the place with these army dudes with the machine guns and uh these army dudes end up coming across all these ninjas and one of the ninjas is d- dressed up like a reject banshee from x-men let's talk about this opening sequence which is essentially just a bunch of dudes running around and occasionally fighting ninjas mark when this started 
did you feel like we were in an American Ninja movie? No, I was thinking we were in like another Deadly Prey film or something. Uh, (laughs) The way it was, I did get the, I, I did enjoy the fact that, you know, they didn't actually have the ninjas completely dodging bullets constantly. Um, that comes, I think that comes later in this, or was that in three? Anyway, it's all a blur. Um, but they didn't have the ninjas dodging all the bullets, but it does not open. This does not feel like an American ninja opening. Cause yeah, we, we don't see duty, you, you know, it's like, well, where is he? And then Sean, for some reason, in between all these action sequences of guys running around and AC ninjas until they make a dumb mistake, suddenly we find out that Sean is in the military. Thank you. <laughs> just, just like, wait, he was just a karate champion. But somehow he's in uh, special forces with some random guy we've never met getting married. And you're like, I should know who these people are, but I don't. <laughs> Let's talk about this wedding sequence where Sean is with his buddy, Carl, who is his partner. And Carl is getting married. And Sean, who's standing up as his best man, is getting calls from the army because because and the army wants him to quickly go to a meeting that easily could have waited an hour or two. <laughs> it needed to happen right then and carl and and sean leave this wedding carl's about to get married let me tell you carl is not gonna have a good marriage (laughs) it's just not in the cards for him i mean i was watching this going are they seriously gonna leave this wedding oh there they go and they go to a scene where it's just a bunch of dudes having coffee kind of lightly talking about some shit they could have talked about in the next day. <laughs> Armies are fucking heels. That army could go fucking take a long hike off a short fucking pier because they're dicks. That was real fucking dick move there. Uh, Dan, what'd you think of this dick move by the army? I, I got to admire the dude's dedication. <laughs> <laughs> this guy has forsaken his wedding to be in this film. And I mean, that's just, that's dedication, man. Hoorah. Simplifying all of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They just, they leave to go essentially watch the ninja version of cannibal Holocaust on a fucking VHS. Yeah. I, yeah. Basically it. That's like, I'm sitting there trying to think of, I mean, name your poison. Is it revenge of Shinobi or is it the game shadow dancer? I mean, whatever it is, we have completely set up. A video game just off of the world's worst mercenaries and ninjas, throw them all together and just have them run around the desert at each other. Then we'll just we'll let nature sort itself out. But then dude's getting married and just I got to go, honey. Duty calls. I I have to save the world. It's like, Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) And then at this meeting, it's just like "Eh, just another day. I didn't just totally skip out on my own fucking wedding. Well, they didn't have Steve James there to tell them about ninjas and the ancient art of assassination and stuff. This is just, and thank God we found out David Bradley's in the army. I mean, good God, I didn't know that. But uh, <laughs> just how that just happens. But okay, I, again, I'm here. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's what kills me. First of all, two things about this. One wouldn't have made more sense 
to have Michael Dudikoff be the guy in the army since it's the guy that we've already established is in the army instead of the guy who's not in the army, who we've established is Sean, David Bradley. Would it make sense to have Dudikoff as the guy in the army, David Garofalli as the guy not in the army, as we said in the last film? Yes. That's question one. Question two. The conceit of this movie is that we have apparently run out of soldiers. <laughs> we just have none. There's, there's just none. There's no, like, basic training doesn't exist. Those barracks, deserted. Ghost towns. <laughs> we have nobody in the military anymore. No, it has to be this guy. <laughs> it has to be these two random dudes at the wedding. And not just David Bradley, but the other guy who we establish has no experience fighting these people. It has to be them. Yeah, well, if you got David Bradley, you don't need soldiers. Okay. Well, but but why do you need the dude who's getting married? It's like like it can't be just like, oh dude, here's the ring. I gotta go. Bye. No, it's both of them. It's both of them. You have to get both of them. Somebody has to be the red shirt in this movie. Scott, Jeez, the explanation to bring him along is complete BS, too. Oh, he's an excellent linguist and special marksman who he can talk, talk to anybody. He doesn't talk. And the only time he shoots a gun, he misses every damn shot. Ninja dodge. <laughs> the worst ninjas in the world can all of a sudden dodge bullets from point blank range. Oh, that was this movie then where he they dodged the bullets. Oh, yeah. Nin- ninjas just, are chumps, man. In these movies, just ninjas are just chumps. Yeah, I don't care if this guy's wedding falls apart. He sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they wrote this probably with Steve James in mind because it would have made sense. Yes. Kind yeah. of. Yes. Yeah. At least as Steve James getting married. And it, it still would have made sense with David Bradley's character being in the army. But that's OK. You could buy into it that maybe Steve James got him into it or whatever. But, but you're not going to buy that Steve James was getting married. Well, I could I could buy it. I mean, not in any of the other the other American Ninja movies. The dude he, was a walking hard on. He yeah, got like, giddy anytime he was going to get like some pussy. Here's the weird thing, though. Didn't it just seem like in this movie, even though this movie only came out like a year after American Ninja three. Didn't it just seem when you were watching this movie like, oh, this is supposed to take place years later. I got that feeling. I got that feeling that we are now four, five years later, and that's what we're dealing with right now, and that's why the, we're dealing with this. Doesn't explain why David Bradley is a decorated uh, military officer. No, fuck that. But <laughs> it does. Ex- but it it did seem like everybody is a different person now than they used to be. So I would have totally bought it if, like, you know, you know. Four or five years, yeah. Someone meets somebody, they settle down. That happens. You know, we're middle aged now. <laughs> it happens. I don't know. You, you just get the feeling, though, that that not Steve James was supposed to be Steve James. Of you, course, you really get that feeling. And since they get this guy, he gets even more shorted than Steve James has throughout this whole series. I mean, this guy, I felt really bad for him because they. <laughs> You know, he's like a hanger on something fierce. <laughs> oh, my God, Mark. Let's talk about this, because so what ends up happening is the army dudes at the beginning get captured by the ninjas and are held ransom, essentially. So uh, Sean and Carl are taken out of this wedding to have this stupid meeting where they watch 
the ninja version of Cannibal Holocaust, and they're told the, they're the only two people that can go and rescue the POWs. So they end up getting thrown out of a plane, and we watch stock footage of random people jumping out of an airplane. And uh, <laughs> they, they come down to the ground in the on this island, and underneath their jumpsuit, Carl has a button-up shirt. <laughs> And Sean has a full leather jacket on under it. Yep. I fucking died. I I I just like no matter what was gonna happen, I'm like, this is some fucking ridiculous bullshit. Seth, what do you think when fucking Sean takes off his jumpsuit and he's in a full leather jacket? I don't understand where, where they were prepared to be at. Like, where are we landing that? We have no gear. We're dressed for the mall or the nightclub. And we have literally no no plans. There is nothing nothing happened in that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm giving uh, the other dude a hard time when I say he sucked. They just didn't have a damn chance in hell. <laughs> it's the dumbest fucking sequence. And they're out in the middle of this field. And some random kid comes and holds him up with a shotgun. And <laughs> we are treated to the weirdest pronunciation of the word nervous that I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's far enough. Move like it was training on eggs. Because this thing is likely to go off if I get nervous. Capish? <laughs> Did you notice that too, Dan? Yeah, that listen to that and I don't I don't want to pick on people for the way they talk or nothing, but this kid, I just wanted to wrap his mouth in duct tape and tell him to breathe out of his nose as hard as he fucking could. Cause it sounded like he just had like a shoe shoved in his epiglottis the entire time he tried to talk. Can we come out but it wasn't that he was mentally handicapped his voice pissed me off well he was trying to do like a, a Italian gangster and shit. he was failing miserably he oh, might yeah. have well, been the awesome. double horse ninja that we saw at the beginning but i mean i understand but yeah, yeah his voice just really annoyed I mean, me i don't know why he was trying to do it the only other time that's even brought up is that short bus scene when him and uh the other dude are arguing about cagney and brando I mean, now I admit I would be acting a little weird too if I were face to face with David Bradley. I would be <laughs> and I would probably have, you have my an awkward boner. That's what you're trying to allude to. Okay, and then you getting like all that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would but yeah, just that no, the voice just annoyed me. That's all I have to contribute to the poor kid. <laughs> so these guys are dropped off in the middle of a foreign land to rescue POWs. So I, I come to present you folks with one of the two movies that this goddamn movie ripped off. Mark the movie, man. Did you think this was uh, an obvious ripoff of Rambo first blood part two? Oh yeah. <laughs> you get that. You're like, wow, they aren't even hiding it. Yeah, you know, it's like, why don't you just give give him the bandana and the rocket launcher 
Yes. You know, and a big machine gun and have him go stand on a hill and annihilate all the, the ninjas, <laughs> you know, and just go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you can see the influence. You're just like sitting there going, OK, I don't know what you guys are doing, but it was done a lot better in the other film. And uh, it's just not working here. Uh, I think they just ran out of ideas. I I mean, this is obviously they they took a couple movies and we'll get to what the second movie is, because the second half of this movie turns into something I was not expecting whatsoever. But this first half, the movie is a blatant like they saw Rambo was big. They're like, okay, let's write off of this. We don't really have to write too much. (laughs) Let's just take the basic outline of what the beginning of Rambo was and let's do this. And, you know. Sean and Carl eventually get dropped down and they try to infiltrate and rescue these guys. And um, they get captured essentially eventually by this big bad who is this complete fucking creep that likes little boys. I mean, of all of the bad guys so far in the American Ninja series, he is the biggest piece of shit. And you believe that this guy is willing to do just about anything. I actually thought for the first time, I kind of liked how dark that the movie got with the bad guy. And uh, even though it was not even remotely mildly racist against uh, Arabs, (laughs) (laughs) no, (laughs) but but the bad guy actually felt like, Oh, he, he's a fucking crazy son of a bitch. Scott, what'd you think of this guy? Uh, No, not, not, not at all. Uh, Not at all. uh, Racist against uh, Arabs. It's not, it's not completely, even slightly that they took every single single jingoistic horrible stereotype and then slathered it by piling on every single perversion they could imagine yep. and cartoon gi joe villainy on top of it no not at all in a canon film what whatever would you make you think that <laughs> no <laughs> I, I like Reflecto Patch, though. I, I thought he was a cool villain. And though I will say um, their production designers, they really need to talk to their colorful ninjas, their rented ninjas, because when we get to see them on the hill, uh, they're all performing in front of the wrong flag. And and that disturbed me. The OCD got to me. I was like, the why are the yellows fighting in front of the blue flags? and you're not alone. <laughs> okay, I wasn't the only one that noticed that. You come up and you're like, okay, you spent all this time organizing these flags and nobody's standing in front of the proper one. What the fuck kind of presentation is this? Ark, they're evil. They're trying to get to you, man. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, you're right. They are evil. <laughs> they're evil. They're like, you know what? We're not even only going to try to fight the American Ninja. We're going to fuck with Mark the Movie Man, too. All you guys that that need order and symmetry, we're going to completely fuck with you. Uh, The scene, Mark, that's funny. You know, there's this sequence where, of course, we stumble upon Godfrey Ho's ninja training grounds on the top of a cliff. And the, the main ninja has an eye patch. Looks like he's straight out of goddamn Mortal Kombat. And um, we just have lackey ninjas dying all over the place. Before this, we have Sean trying to infiltrate this before he gets captured. And we have this entire sequence where he's running around in what looks to be some forest in the middle of rural Wisconsin. He, he This whole sequence, he 
constructs like Rambo out of nothing. This and it's just it goes on forever. This bow and arrow <laughs> that he shoots one bow, one arrow, and fucking promptly throws the, <laughs> the fucking bow away. that was totally worth it (laughs) yeah i'm glad i had a two-minute scene where he we watched him put this thing together piece by piece to shoot one fucking arrow (laughs) so yeah there's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite make sense (laughs) wait till we get to mad max oh which is the second half of the movie where after sean gets captured and carl get captured and get chained up in greasy no shirted basements like a dave dakota movie <laughs> i'm surprised they weren't in white tidy whities um all of a sudden we switch to duty who's teaching a class in the uh, peace corps this is 45 minutes into this movie folks 45 minutes into the movie that is sold as a buddy team-up movie you see if you look at the cover fucking duties right there 45 minutes in he is basically guilt tripped into trying to rescue Sean and the POWs and in a sequence in which is essentially just a car ride. We learn the entire history and exposition of the bad guys while duty just rides in a car and then for some reason stumbles across an outlander group of uh, renegades that are not unlike all of the post-apocalyptic wastelanders in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And he, <laughs> Dudikoff, has to prove himself by fighting uh, Roundy's Master Blaster. And uh, this movie, again, turns into a ripoff of something else. Seth, when this movie turned into Great Eagle uh, Mad Max, what did you think of this? completely taken off guard but hell at this point i'm for it <laughs> it's pretty obvious at this point we're not going to get much dudikoff and michael bradley teaming up if any it turns out it wasn't any let's just throw some shit at the wall and have rebels with pots and pans and pitchforks and battle axes why the hell not so <laughs> i'm for it at this point i was just breathing a sigh of relief that colored ninjas came back because we didn't see anything but black ninjas until over half an hour into the movie. So it was all, you know, all good from here on out. Let's just fucking go crazy. Oh yeah. It definitely goes crazy from this point on all bets were off. And I remember Mark, the movie man texting me because I didn't watch this movie yet and he was watching it. And then grand Astro radio Z tradition during the franchise episodes, Mark, the movie man's got to give me a live text stream of the movies he's watching he was he was blown away by the fact that this all of a sudden became a mad max movie i'll bet a fucking roundies version of a goddamn max mad max movie now due to cough i i want to put this out there i'd love to have this discussion because we kind of talked um in the last movie about the fact that you know duty versus david bradley and who we thought was better and in that movie i thought you know what he actually brought something to the table i gotta admit when duty shows up in this movie, he's a fucking badass. Like yep. he's got presence. When he when he actually fights, he must have been training. He's kicking people's fucking asses all over the place. 
And I was just like, holy shit, I'm swallowing my words here. Goddamn dude, he's fucking getting it on in this motherfucker. Dan, what'd you think about Dudikoff coming back? I think it was a great return to form. I wish it had been returned 45 minutes previously. Like I, <laughs> We had gotten this from the beginning of the film. But I mean, I make it no mystery. I mean, I love them both. The both characters are freaking awesome. But yeah, it was nice. This was, again, I know I keep saying it over and over. It's a video game. It's a video game. This, it's a freaking video game. Now, it takes a little longer to get into it with this one, but it's pretty much like the basis of Metal Gear. What have you got? A compound of a sadistic or a compound of a sadist who's trying to build a weapon to hold the world hostage. And his little miscreant guards are what? Ninjas and other, you know, soldiers of fortune or whatnot. And so what do you do? You have to send one guy in to take him out. Now, this is a solid snake. It's Michael Dudikoff. But, I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah, he just, he came in there and he's just, he, yeah, it's, as you said it best. It just, he looks like he's worked. He has practiced for the role. He actually, it's almost like he was ready for this role. It just is a very nice return to form and, and a welcome breath of fresh air for the movie honestly <laughs> yeah because up until this point i mean they really didn't give david bradley much to do in that mm-hmm. whole first 45 minutes it is uh, the worst rehash of rambo 2 and then he just gets kidnapped and the movie should have started with dudikoff in the peace corps i i agree with scott that they should have switched the characters yeah they they really should have but unfortunately this is how it is and uh event what ends up happening is dudikoff ends up infiltrating um the bad guy's compound during a dinner party he dresses a priest and gives a, a policeman the vulcan neck pinch and <laughs> steals the plans makes his own ninja weapons and he turns into a ninja and finally unlike the last movie where David Bradley was not a ninja. He was just some karate dude kicking people in the face, which I was fine with. We're back to actual ninja shit. Fucking Dudikoff dons the ninja outfit and just starts fucking people up. He's catching a... He caught a fucking arrow with his teeth. (laughs) How fucking badass is that, Seth? That's fucking badass, right? It is badass, and I'm glad that it was Dudikoff coming to save uh davidson and not the other way around even though from a character standpoint it would have made more sense but if i was one of these other guys chained up being burned at the fucking stake let's talk about how dark this movie gets with some of the stuff compared to the other ones it's violent oh yeah yeah there's a there's a man on fire just running around burned to shit but if i'm one of these guys further down the line chained at the stake i want to see dudikoff come strutting in with the blonde and the steely blue eyes piercing out of the little ninja mask, just handing out roundhouses and catching arrows with his teeth, throwing grenades onto people who's already fucked up. I, I know I'm getting saved at that point. <laughs> that was one of the best things. I had that in my notes. Duty blows up a bad ninja with a fucking grenade. He already kicked his ass. It was done. He just blows out a grenade and fucking backhands that thing right on top of him. At first, I didn't know what it was. I was like, is this like one of the, the disappearing gases? You know, the smoke nope. bombs? No, that motherfucker blew up. And I was like, oh, shit. It's like the, 
the WCW ECW invasion angle with Judas <laughs> and Stone Cold coming in and handing out stars all over the place to save WWF. Good God, man. Yeah. <laughs> man. You were fucked around. And then in that same sequence, Carl blows up a toy helicopter with a bazooka. <laughs> I love, I love how distinctly obvious that thing is about a $50 model helicopter. <laughs> oh, my God. It's uh, this movie, literally uh, the last half of it, and it's too bad. It goes off the rails. Yeah. But when it goes off the rails, it does so in this really horribly shot, bland way where you have... I mean, it is an extravagant sequence where we're talking at least 50 extras running around. There's explosions. The Wastelanders are coming to fight the ninjas. And there's this huge mashup when Duty finally gets in to rescue Sean because they're they've uh, the bad guys have like strung them up like it's a scene from Mark of the Devil and it's a witch burning execution. And uh, it just culminates into this huge fucking battle that is just so horribly shot and yeah and and just like you don't get uh any sort of connection with the action that's going on it's just wide shots of people running around into each other that it renders it all so pointless i mean scott did you just think the whole final battle was a bunch of bullshit i just at this point i just thought okay this is just more random shit and it just really felt like, okay, we've shown all of our set pieces. Now let's show random shit. Even though this is the point where we should be showing people teaming up, we should be showing people the climax, we should show people what we promised from the get-go, it's just more random shit. And, it, you know, you kind of get the clue that this is going to happen when Dudikov kind of just slowly saunters out. Forget the fact that there is a guy that was just set on fire <laughs> who's just like flailing around Joe Dudikoff just kind of slowly saunters out and then the sequence starts and it's more random shit this movie is a lot more serious yeah uh, Seth was starting to touch on it like how dark and violent it is it's also it doesn't have its tongue in cheek like the other ones did at least the other ones you kind of, kind of look like they, where they said like yeah we know it's kind of silly but come along for the ride this one thinks like, no, we're dead serious about this. Oh, my God. Look at these horrible ninja warriors. Aren't they just a terrible threat? And they were really dead serious about this. And it kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails, to be completely honest with you. It's just a little bit too much. That's a problem I had with this movie. It was just a little it promised us all this stuff. Uh, you guys mentioned it was Mad Max. I thought it was if the first part was Rambo two. I thought the yeah. first second part was Rambo three. I mean, I could see com- that. Yeah. I mean, completely where they get him at the at the school and they and they have to convince him to go back into his war fighting ways. And he has to go in there and he finds the group of uh rebels that he inspires you know and it's probably a bad idea to inspire those rebels knowing how you know history worked out but still we're gonna do it you know and they still do this you know and all of this stuff you know it's it i thought it was like a bunch of rambo ripoff and i thought that man you know, by this point, I think I was used to Canon screwing me over. So it's kind of like, okay, they're doing it. And I enjoyed it a little bit more than part three. 
just because I thought, well, it started out as something that they tried to do, but they just didn't get that go- that ball over the goal line. So, no. Can I can I just point out something during this whole fight sequence? Yes, please. What 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 Sean's plan was by getting all of the hostages he freed into a jail cell <laughs> and closes the door and stands there while shit's going down and then like after stuff starts happening he opens the door and the girl is behind him and he gets out and he goes no no stay there and she closes the barred door behind i'm like what is this what kind of escape plan is this stay in the jail cell you'll be safer there i couldn't get that i'm like no why are you hiding behind bars go help duty who is actually kicking ass and yeah the fight sequences though in this film in general when you got like dudikoff versus some ninjas some of those were actually really good for the series i think in all honesty out of the four films that we've watched so far this probably has some of the best choreographed and, and, and best fight scenes but i think it goes along with what scott was saying is that it felt like they were trying to change the tone of the series to be a more serious action film. And in doing so, those fight scenes were handled a lot differently than the first three films. Yeah. There, well, there's not all the posturing. There's not the one-liners. Um, it's pretty much just like these dudes are fucking kicking each other's asses. And I appreciated that. Um, in the end, I still found stuff that I enjoyed about this movie. I mean, it's still a movie about dudes kicking ninjas in the face. So (laughs) I can't get too pissed about it, but it obviously it is my least favorite up until this point because it's essentially just ripoffs of other movies. So let's go into final thoughts about this thing. Seth, when it all is said and done, people duty throwing ninja uh, grenades at fucking dead ninjas and shit like this. What would you think of this thing? I think it's messy. Uh, it doesn't totally know what it wants to be, but the change in tone and attitude really worked for me just on a personal level. I love sleazy, grimy exploitation films, and it really feels like they, it's what they were going for a lot of this one. Uh, as soon as Dudikoff comes in, I think from that point on, it's my favorite part of the series up till now. Just yeah. madness happening. I like the lightheartedness of the first three, but the kind of you know dark grimy violence in this one was a nice change it's not none of them are all that well put together but i'd say it's probably the least well put together but i still have a really good time with it thumbs up yeah i i agree with you on just about every count there dan it's american ninja 4 by this point you've kind well i would say you know what to expect but you (laughs) you honestly don't still it's in the vein of the movies that have come before us, so many just it's a precursor of that gonzo video game culture. I hate to keep harping on that, but that has such an impact on my childhood. And this movie is the same as like those games you have. I mean, it, you can take Metal Gear and mix it with the first Ninja Gaiden, you know, on the NES. And there you have this movie. Now, yeah, it does. It is just as you've said it best two two different movies and i wish it could have been 
more. I wish I would have been given what the cover looked the cover looked like a hardcore hard boiled double dragon. It looked like what was going on in my head when I played double dragon. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I wanted. Unfortunately, it's not what we got, but for what it did right, it did right. I guess if I'm saying that properly, like the parts that it got right, it got right and it did it well. And it made me want more. But yeah, Dudikoff was back and we see why he is American Ninja. I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah. His introduction is just fucking legendarily badass. Mark the movie, man. Yeah, everybody here pretty much uh, said what I was thinking as well. I enjoyed this. I actually enjoyed it a little bit better than three. Uh, the change in tone was an uh, interesting change. And then I actually enjoyed that a little more. Uh, it is still a mess. <laughs> by any means but dudikoff definitely you can tell he put some thought and time before he came back into this role because this is american ninja i wish we would have seen this dudikoff in the first two films holy crap you know because what he did with this character i was just like hell yeah give me give me more of that so yeah the, the stuff they do right they do very well uh, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't work. Like during the proving scene, we get a random car, but the car misses its mark. <laughs> I'm like, why is there a car? And it just random and no one says anything. The car goes and crashes and Dudikoff is suddenly a part of the tribe. You know, it's like there's a lot of random stuff like that, but then you get awesome fights you get dark scenes where you get guys set on fire and our hero is not rushing to save people (laughs) he's like oh that's just an army guy i don't need to save him oh you know you got a darker villain so there's a lot of elements in here i enjoyed and it did make me enjoy it better than three in a lot of ways this is my least favorite of the series but I still enjoy it. I can I can see what you guys are all saying. Scott, the movie man, finish it out. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> taking your, I'm taking your thunder, Mark. <laughs> oh, we're just taking everything from Mark tonight. That's, I now have ended this whole night with nothing. Uh, Mark, uh, this is this is we're at eleven thirty. Yes. I am. My brain is shutting completely fucking off at this point. I'm glad we're near the end of this episode. That was totally unintentional. No, but- it's okay. It worked. I liked it. Scott, go ahead. Let's finish this uh, You know, I do like it a little bit better than three, but I'm going to disagree with a lot of you guys and say that, yeah, okay, he may have been really cool in the action sequences, but as much as I accuse David Bradley of not having any charisma in part three, I thought it was completely reversed here. I thought David Bradley had all the charisma. Michael Dudikoff was just this blank slate who was just going through action sequence after action sequence and with no real purpose, no real character. I thought that the film was uh, slightly more enjoyable, but it was too damn serious. And it because it felt it felt so sluggish, it actually felt really convoluted and complicated, even though it wasn't. It really wasn't any more complicated than any of the others in the series. But it felt like it was because it was just so uneven, so un, so sluggish. 
So I'll give it a slight edge over part three, but I still don't recommend it. I'm sorry. I just don't I just don't dig it at all. I thought they had a really great opportunity, but they fumbled the ball here. I like cheese pizza. I like pepperoni pizza. I, I like pizza. I'll even I'll even eat a goddamn pizza with olives on it. And I hate those little sons of bitches. <laughs> That's what this movie is. I still dig it. I still had a lot of fun. They're still ninjas. They're getting they're dodging bullets. They're in ridiculous looking outfits and they're getting kicked in the face. Can't ask for much more. And at the end of the day, so far, this fucking Amer- American ninja gimmick is a goddamn wild success in my book. So uh, that's it for tonight, folks. Uh, this turned into much more epic episode than I was ever expecting, but that happens from time to time. So. Next month, we'll be finishing this out with American Ninja 5, in which Pat Morita's in that one. <laughs> so stick around for that. You're the best around. <laughs> Nothing's going to ever shut me down. Oh, my God. So anyways, uh, that's what we got going on. If you haven't noticed, the show's kind of been slowing down a little bit. It's probably going to be that way for a couple months. We'll see. I know Mark the Movie Man and I and Seth have uh, episodes planned. And when those will happen, I don't know. We'll f- I, I, I'm sure at some point they'll happen. But uh, Astro Radio Z is just kind of taking a little bit of a, a breather. So hopefully I'll get you some more episodes. But don't hold your breath. They'll happen whenever I feel like doing them. <laughs> this is no longer a weekly show. And I'm kind of glad. This is just something I do for fun. So thanks for sticking around and uh, listening to the show and hanging with us. So before we go tonight, this is the portion of the show where we have Daniel and his new segment for Astro Radio Z, Bottom Rack Films. We're going to play that segment right now. It's me, Daniel, with another episode of the Bottom Rack. You know, bottom shelf entertainment for your top shelf world. Oh, fuck. That was retarded. Anyway, <laughs> it's Daniel, and I'm here with another episode of the Bottom Rack. And this is going to be kind of tough to do. It's, uh, well, see, I've already set the stage like this is something bad. I don't, I don't want it to come across as anything bad. Ah, the hell with it. I watched the movie The Devil's Well. This is a recent flick come out, uh, 2017, as my buddy Derek would call it. It's a new joint. So, uh, the Devil's Well came out in 2017. It's an hour and a half long, a comfortable hour and a half long. And uh, I kind of like that. Directed by Curtis Spieler, uh, written by Curtis Spieler. And here's the setup on IMDb. Carla Marx mysteriously vanishes while conducting a paranormal investigation with her husband. A year after her disappearance, a group of paranormal investigators attempt to uncover the truth about her disappearance. This movie is brilliant. And I guess when I say it's brilliant, wow, that's just, <laughs> it's like, wow, what the hell? Isn't, you know, really? It is brilliant. The, all right, I got to toot my own horn because it's, it's really the only way that I can explain it. Last ha- Halloween... I released an album for the Night Keep called Shade of Night, where I built folklore. I 
took, you know, the town where I wanted to base it, which is a local area and stuff, and I took some truth, but I fabricated a whole hell of a lot of things to create an urban legend, to create a story. And then using that, I would use seeds with my actors, and together we built this whole myth. We built this whole story of, you know, ne'er-do-well, this malefactor practicing occult things and murders and stuff. And then at the end of the album, I even got our local uh, talk radio show host and, you know, newscast reporter, Austin Rhodes. I got him to do a news report for me, acting like he was an actual reporter and stuff. I was basing this all in real life. And so, well, all right, I say all that. Oh, and by the way, that's Shade of Night. You can find me on Bandcamp, <laughs> nightkeep.bandcamp.com. Anyway, The Devil's Well is that, and it's like the Blair Witch Project. You know how the Blair Witch Project starts off, and it's like the first third of the movie is, you know, or, yeah, about the first third of the movie. They're going through and talking with the people in the town, and they're going over what happened, the events and stuff. That's how this movie is set up, is that... Carla Marx and her boyfriend were paranormal researchers and they were investigating uh, something called the Devil's Well. And I forget like the name of like as they build the whole story. Trust me, watch it because that's what makes it cool. If you're into that paranormal documentary stuff, this is set up exactly like that. It's freaking awesome where they're telling you the history of the place. And then you're finding out about the chick that turns up missing and then her husband and how he was arrested. And then it's got an interview with him and interviews with like the arresting officer and things. And they're going through what had happened. They're even showing you, they'll even play like sound clips and snippets and do, you know, transitions into a full on documentary. And it's pretty cool. And then uh, as it continues on, you find out that. Carla and her husband were actually, they are friends with another paranormal research group called SIGNS, and which is an acronym for whatever it means. So anyway, the SIGNS group decides to take Carla's husband, and they want to go back and investigate the Devil's Well. The Devil's Well basically being a portal to hell, kind of like uh, that episode of Ghost Adventures with the, I think it was Bobby Mackey or whatever, you know, this is the portal to hell, why don't you come on out and show, you know, that kind of thing. As pretty much the conceit behind this sort of is that there was a well supposedly possessed or is even a portal to hell. Crazy paranormal things have happened. And then over the years, like there was a, a factory built around it or something for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't even think they can explain it in the movie. They say, well, it just happened, you know. But so anyway, the setting for this is they get they lock themselves in a paranormal research team, lock themselves in that factory, and they spend the night there doing a ghost hunt. And so if you watch Ghost Hunters, if you watch Ghost Adventures, you're going to know the layout of this and it's, you're going to know the setup and it's freaking awesome. I'm a junkie. I'm a found footage junkie. I'm a ghost hunting paranormal researcher junkie. And so this movie, I mean, this was tickling me in all the right places. You can take that mental image, whatever you want. <laughs> this movie was so cool. And I was, I was in, I mean, that was it. Whenever they start unloading this story, it was maybe about 10 or 15 minutes. I'm watching, I was like, geez, you know, what is this? Is it like a documentary? I thought this was a, you know, a fictional narrative, man. By once they got in there and start doing the, the ghost, the paranormal investigation, I'm in, I am all in it for the story. And it's what, you know what? I don't care what's going on. I am, I am in this. Take me on a journey. 
And I went and loved everything about this except the last five minutes. <laughs> this movie, it did it just right. Maybe this is, and I don't know if it's because of indie film. I'm sure it has something to do with that, but I, and I appreciate clean films. I appreciate clean movies. In other words, if you've got a $10,000 camera, well, you know, hot damn, use that $10,000 camera. Let me see the acne on these actors' faces. They, none of the actors have acne, I'm just saying. This movie is clean and crisp and sharp, and I like it. It's not done when they transition into the POV you're going to get, you know, your some of your night camera footage and some staticky stuff. And that's fine. I expect that. But man, like the camera just showing like whenever they would turn the real light on and stuff. There's <laughs> some really clean, crisp camera work here. It's just it's very nice. It's very refreshing because the setting of this place is all dark. So you've only got flashlights and, you know, small little key lights that they use, but not like, you know, winky fingers like key lights, like professional photo studio. No, it's just, you know, lights set off to the side, like an actual paranormal research team. It's freaking awesome. So they go through and you're witnessing a ghost hunt and you get the the standard stuff, little bangs and do something touch me? Does something just scratch me? You know, stuff like that. And then... You'll hear a door slam or, you know, a voice, disembodied voice, what they call EVP. You'll hear that. There's a turning point in this. Oh, and eventually they find the chick by the well. She just appears. So eventually there is a turning point in this film and something happens. And I'm not going to give the gag away because, again, I'm not going to discourage anyone from watching it or not watching it. You watch it, it's cool. Thumbs up or thumbs down, I'll give you my rating. The fact that I'm talking about this now for going on seven minutes and 38 seconds means that there's something cool about it. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Anyway, there's an event that happens. And when that happened, I was like, holy shit. I mean, I got chills. I haven't seen something like this happen since Grave Encounters or, you know, by God, like one of my absolute favorite movies, As Above, So Below. When that happened, I was so ready. I was like, holy shit, here we go, here we go. I mean, I'm grinning. I'm starting to get my little seat shuffle going on because, you know, I'm just excited. I'm ready for it. And then things happen, and unfortunately, that last five minutes it didn't piss me off but it just it was almost like a let it was like i felt let down it was like god damn it this movie could have been like i said this movie could have been the coolest thing since as above so below for me this could have been the shit this could have been the coolest thing since grave encounters and it just that the ending it just wasn't it was not for me it's still creepy don't get me wrong it's very creepy it's very moody but after the ending as I go back to that pivotal moment that I told you about, it's like, oh, I see what that was. Oh. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's it. That's all I can say about it. It's not like, you know, oh, I get it. Or it's just, oh, you know, you know, bummer. That's, you know, what a shame. But then again, that's just me. That's my personal taste. The fact that I told you, you know, one of my favorite movies is As Above, So Below. Any friend of mine is going to tell you another one of mine is, you know, if, um, Event Horizon. 
is there's certain movies that I really like. I love the supernatural. I embrace it. I I love it, and I want more of it. And I like the evil supernatural stuff, you know. So bring it on, man. Hell world, demons, bring it all. The devil's well, unfortunately for me, just basically became the devil's oh well. But if that thing was 90 minutes, dudes, I'm telling you, 85 minutes of that was absolutely awesome. If if you appreciate film, I'm telling you to watch it. If you appreciate ghost hunting, watch it. If you appreciate how to set up a documentary, watch it. I mean, there's as much as I don't like it, I really can't think of a reason to tell you to not watch it other than the fact to just be prepared to not enjoy <laughs> the reveal. Be prepared to not enjoy the ending. And that's only if you prefer straight cut supernatural. In this instance, it's kind of ambiguous, but it's it's not supernatural enough for me. So that's just, let me leave it. But anyway, it's called The Devil's Well. It's 2017. It's a brand new movie. You'll probably find it on the bottom shelf at Walmart. And I mean, if not, you can get it on, um, the hell did I watch it? Amazon Prime. And I enjoyed it. If you want to make a film, watch it. If you're an indie filmmaker, watch it. You could, you'd really do well. If, if this is your style, if you like, you know, limited secluded locations and working on a shoestring budget, I mean, this is a good one to watch, man. They they pulled off a story. Didn't hardly there's hardly no gore, which is you know I'm a gore hound, but it doesn't matter. There's hardly no gore and still creepy. Like I said, there's this one part in this movie that was freaking creepy, and that that's that turning point that I referenced to. But yeah, as far as world building and a story and everything, this was good stuff. So the devil's well. So anyway, that's bottom rack, uh, you know, bottom shelf entertainment for your top shelf lifestyle. <laughs> it's, I'm still working on that. Oh, shit. Anyway, I'm Daniel, and I will holler at y'all later. Thanks for listening to that folks this is the portion of the show where my guest shamelessly shills the fuck out of you we're gonna start with seth Paulin shill thanks again for uh checking out this episode and for derek for having me and uh, everyone else on the panel for listening to me bitch and enjoy it more so i don't know what i'm talking about uh you can find me at celluloid terror on blogspot facebook instagram youtube for all sorts of Horror and cult film reviews. That's it. Daniel. Uh, well, I mean, same as always, man. Thanks for having me on. This, especially with these movies, is so fucking awesome. Uh, best place to find me, I guess, is here. I mean, just on Asher Radio Z podcast, but sometimes around Halloween or something, maybe if you went and checked out, I don't know, nightkeep.bandcamp.com, get you some little Halloween music. But uh, otherwise, no, nah, you can just find me on here. Mr. Mark, the movie man. 
you can check out my new film, Fifty Shades of Astro Radio Z. Where I'm going to be strapping myself to a board and getting spanked by a spanking machine for 90 minutes while I quote past episodes. Is there um, butt stuff in this movie, though? Oh, absolutely. Good. Good. Um, I'll watch it. <laughs> no, you can find my stuff at specialmarkproductions.com. Awesome. Last but not least, Mr. Scott Davis, the movie man. Shalom, y'all. You can catch me at moviocrity.com uh, or you can also check out uh, past episodes of my uh, web series moviocrity at vimeo.com slash channels slash moviocrity again thanks for sticking with us folks and until next time man shoot all those fucking toy helicopters out of the skies with bazookas they're a damn nuisance Then find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, YouTube, and anywhere podcasts are found. Please, help us by subscribing, rating the show, and giving us a review. It helps us get the show out to more listeners. Also, if you would like to hear more of the show and be a more active participant, join the Astro Radio Z Facebook group and page, and join the Patreon. For only $1 a month, you get bonus episodes. Thank you for listening. See you next week, Astro Zombies. Oh.